Hi, I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, here to let you know about a new and innovative theater major, the BA in Theater and Business Arts at the University of Providence. Get the education and experience you need as a theater artist and the business acumen to succeed in your career. Visit broadwaybullet.com and stay tuned to the end of the program for more info. Now, enjoy the show. Well, I wouldn't want it to be too perfect every night. It is live after all. Working at Lincoln Center, it sounds very huge and elevated. And that's what it feels like, like once you're working there. Because rent is about much more than just friendship, love, and musical theater. It was about something that shook musical theater. People are becoming more and more I mean, we do it all. Like, you know, we don't we don't back away from anything. Welcome to Broadway Bullet, Volume 414 for October 7th, 2010. I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, and we got a lot of great stuff for you. Be sure to keep checking out the Nymph Festival, nymf.org. It's still going on. But uh, we've got some shows that are not nymph now for you. We've got Stinky Flowers and the Bad Banana here for you. Uh, the CD release of... Uh, the Golden Boy of Blue Ridge, new from new label, Broadway Wax Records. We've got Weekend at an English Country Estate from the Eta Theater Group. And we've got Good Egg from the Red Fern Theater Company. So a lot of stuff going on. And uh, I guess we're just going to jump right on into it. On the boards. Having grown up in a military-based town, I'm very familiar with the concept of uh, military <laughs> brats, and uh, their isolation becomes a source of a new fairy tale with stinky flowers and the bad banana, and while I've done a horrible job setting it up, I'm sure playwright Croft Vaughn, who is uh, here with us today, can set us straight, as well as Lauren Soa, one of the actors from the show. How are you guys doing? Very good. good. Thanks for having us. Thank you. All right, well, first things first, uh, why don't you tell us kind of the, your elevator pitch as to what is <laughs> Stinky Flowers and the Bad Banana? Right, uh, Stinky Flowers and the Bad Banana is a fairy tale frame play. Um, three military brats are playing in the attic when they discover the audience, and they're convinced that these quiet strangers are going to eat them. So they distract I think the... a lot of actors are convinced <laughs> that the audience is going to eat them. <laughs> They, they Good point. I'll be in the audience, so it could happen. <laughs> um, so they distract the quiet uh, guests with their grandfather's fairy tales. Um, and, uh, you know, through, through telling of the tales, um, they, they discover a courage to create their own fairy tale, and the ending of that weaves an ending for all of the other uh, fairy tales. All right, and, and what character do you play in this, Sam? Or, I, Lauren, and I see the character is Sam. Yes, that is who yeah. I play. Um, I play Sam, Samantha, who is the oldest of the three siblings, and she is she is the leader. Um, all of these children are played by adult actors, but uh, I love the, just the way that Croft has written this play. There's, there's a beautiful innocence about them. And um, so Sam is, she's sort of in charge, but she's, she's 14. She's getting to that age where she's almost, almost too cool. But uh, something I think that is so true about this piece is that these kids, because they are military brats, they move around all the time, and they have found each other as 
in a way, they're best friends because it's sort of a constant in this world that is ever-changing. They have each other, and they, they really come together in in their attic, in, in this piece there in the attic, and uh, they they tell these stories to the audience and to each other, and it's, it's about healing and, and loss, and it's just it's a great piece to work on. It's a lot of fun. Now, I understand you just... Uh graduated from NYU? I did. I graduated from NYU a couple years ago and have been, uh, you know, out in the world now, the scary world. Playing a 14-year-old? <laughs> Playing a 14-year-old, yes. But you know, in like another four or five years, you can play a high school student on Glee. I know. I can't <laughs> wait. <laughs> oh, yes. So, Croft, I understand this started off as a one-person show? That Yeah. Um, it really, actually, it started off as uh, I, I wanted to transition from being a performer to being a playwright, and I was like, well, what is easy and simple and I can work on lots of? Of small things. And I was like, you know, going back to my, my childhood, I was like, we, we used to work on um, uh, fairy tales, a fairy tale uh, theater. And so I was like, oh, well, I'll just take ideas that I find compelling and express them in fairy tales as a way of, you know, constructing characters, developing a plot. And then um, uh, the, a director friend of mine, uh, Shauna Solomon, uh, was talking to me about this, and she was, like, really intrigued by some of the tales. And she said, you should string them together into a show. And so we talked about how that would work, and uh, we were accepted to the Artists of Tomorrow Festival with Six Figures Theater Company back in 2006. And um, from there, we met with um, a, a director friend of mine, David Goldstein, saw it. And a month after, and at that point, the play was still kind of, had a lot of rough ed edges. And uh, he, a month after seeing it, he sat me down after um, uh, New Year's. And he was like, listen, I'd like to talk to you about your show. And he did. And he knew more about it than I did. Um, and he was <laughs> like, oh, I liked how you did this. And you, you know, brought these characters together. And it was really, really satisfying to hear someone, like, really engaged in it. And that inspired me to work with him, bring his theater company on board to do the um, Edinburgh Fringe Festival production in 2007. Um, and we tightened up all the loose edges. We, um, uh, um, we even changed some of the fairy tales to better um, tell the tale of the, the military brat Sinclair um, and it was just, it was, a, it was very satisfying to work on, and uh, Adam did some really brilliant work. And then after that, um, uh, my friend Kelly Miller saw the show, and she's a literary uh, agent and man, uh, dramaturg. And she pulled me aside and said, Croft, this show is beautiful. She had worked at Play Scripts, and she said, you know, you should write this play for five actors for like regional theaters or off off Broadway and um, and for 45 actors for high schools um, because it has a lot of um, I've heard it called Shrek appeal where uh, the uh, the kids will be entertained because there are monkeys everywhere um, but the the adults will will um, get the deeper meanings in some mm -hmm. of the tales. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's what I really like about, you know, the fairy tales is that, you know, I was reading, you know, Bruno Bettelheim, and uh, he wrote the book uh, Uses for Enchantment, and he looks at all the fairy tales and how they um, carry deep psycho excuse me psychological um, value, and that's why they have such staying power. So um, I had written the five-person version, and uh, the management theater company picked it up for a salon reading series. And we got to hear it, like, spoken aloud, and um, it was uh, really, that was really, really great and formative. And then um, 
uh, back in January, I was like, all right, here we go. We got to get this up. We got to get the five-person version out there. Uh, we got to get people to hear it. We got to get people to see it. And I need to let go of it. I didn't want to be in it. I didn't want to be performing in it. Um, just I just wanted to be the producer and the playwright for this round. So, um, so we're very excited. Uh, it's 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 very like the. It is really really exciting to see professional actors um, t uh, tackle this play because uh, it's not easy. Um, there's not uh, t traditional uh, acting training does not um, really play to the audience. And so, uh, you know, allowing actors to interact with the audience in a way that's like not, uh, you know, bad children's theater where you talk down to them. Um, but it's not uh, frightening for people who might not be terribly comfortable with that. Uh, that that's an interesting task, and uh, I'm really excited to see uh, see how they how they do. <laughs> <laughs> So what's the 45-person version? I can, I can say. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, within the piece, within each fairy tale, all of the actors, there's only five in this version, but we all play multiple characters within each tale. So, for instance, in Stinky Flowers, I think I, well, I play one character, but um, Robert, who plays Stu, the, the middle brother, plays, I think, I don't know, five or six different characters in that show. So if... If it were broken down into 45, yeah. I imagine each individual character within each tale would be... And you can never have enough spear bearers, really. <laughs> <laughs> or monkeys. Or monkeys, yes. Yeah. yes. It's very satisfying. And, and trees. <laughs> and trees. Yeah. And, you know, we could have, like, a stinky flower dance number. Oh, that would be yeah. for the, the, the Broadway version. Yeah, totally. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Dressed up like bananas. <laughs> Dressed up like bananas, yeah, doing the banana splits. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, that's funny. So what has the rehearsal process been like putting this together? It's been great. Um, we started off doing a lot of table work, really sort of connecting to the deeper meanings of it. And I think what Croft said is so true that, you know, I've been saying to my friends that it's really, it's a fairy tale for adults and children because um, both will equally appreciate it, I think. And so we started off with a lot of table work and um, just a lot of connecting with each other, with the other actors, because it is so, it's so much about this family and what they've been through. Um, it was really important that the three of us connect, uh, the three children, as well as these two imaginary friends who really have become part of the family at this point. Um, so we did a lot of work and then we sort of just got up and started playing and it's been so fun because in the past week we've gotten a lot of new props have been introduced that we sort of just were like, yes, I want that for this moment and that for this moment. And some things changed completely because of the use of, you know, a pair of earmuffs or an umbrella or a fan. It's just, it's been so fun. And it's also short enough that we can run the entire thing and then still have a couple of hours to work moments and play and um, not be totally exhausted. <laughs> so. 
Good. So, are are there already plans for marketing this out to regional theaters? <laughs> well, first things first, we got to get this production. Well, I bring it up because we do have a lot of listeners all over the place. Oh well, yes. So. If they if there are if, if people are interested, I am happy to. Well, really, um, it, there is because um, it, it's a multimedia play. Uh, they use an overhead projector, and I really like the idea that a multimedia play could be produced without having to bring on like all the original artists so it's it is multimedia but in a way that is um not low tech enough for um people who are not terribly familiar with uh multimedia um there's a it really but if they can't operate their iphone then, then <laughs> it, it's probably I, still yes, a problem i feel like if you, if you <laughs> if you can if you if you have a, a smartphone you should be okay <laughs> i think something that's so great about the piece too is that you can use absolutely nothing as mm. far as props and costumes go and have it still be effective because it is so much about using the imagination. Um, you know, you can really tailor it to what you want to have the piece be about or, mm. you know, how elaborate you want it to be or how sparse you want it to be. I mean, the fact that it takes place in an attic and we've been talking a lot about found objects, things that happen to be in the attic from all the different moves and how those items that have personal meaning become part of the fairy tales or how you use your mother's old apron to become a housewife in a southern town for one of the stories. You know, and, and so because it is so sort of versatile, you could also use absolutely nothing and have it still be effective. And I think that's very cost effective in this yes. economy. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah, it's uh, with the one man version, it was made to tour. Like we were able to do it in the Edinburgh Fringe, and that is a place where you get five minutes to load in and five minutes to break down. <laughs> and uh, with that, we had enough time to wheel a table on with the, uh, all of the tech equipment, plug everything in, and then let the audience in. And, um, you, you know, and, uh, and that was the sort of the gist. It was like, Let's focus on the storytelling, not on the special effects. Let's let the multimedia enhance the storytelling, not direct it. Yeah. All right. And when does the show run? The show runs October 7th through the 24th at Theater Under St. Mark's, which is 94 St. Mark's Place. It's just east of First Avenue. You can get tickets at smartticks.com. Um, it's Thursday through Saturday at 8 p.m. and Sunday matinees at 3. All right. So Stinky Flowers and the Bad Banana uh, coming to New York and maybe regional theaters around the country. Uh, Croft Vaughn and Lauren Soa, thanks so much for stopping by. <laughs> Thank Cheers. you. Did I get those both right? You were laughing. You did. Yes. Okay. No, you did. Bravo. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Best of luck to your performances. Thank, Thank you. you. Prospect Theatre Company has been making waves. Recently, they had a sold-out, sold-out extended run of With Glee, which originated at the New York Musical Theatre Festival. And they, Prospect themselves has done many things with the New York Theatre Festival. It has some partner events and some stuff going on this year as well. And because uh, of all their involvement and, and all the times they've been on, they have released their first official cast album for uh, Cleveland Award winner Pete Mills' uh, musical Golden Boy of the Blue Ridge. Uh, has just come out, and we've got the producer, 
and the composer, Pete Mills, and the producer, <laughs> Dennis... Whoa. <laughs> look at the CD. Look at the CD. It's right on there. <laughs> no. How this Dennis, is what why editing did, why is Why did I space out your last name? Dennis Michael Keefe. <laughs> and and that is like a, a mulligan that I can't forget, considering Dennis has played on the upcoming of BMI CD with me, as well as my own solo album. But anyway, the production of Golden Boy Blue Ridge original cast recording is now out and available, and uh, we're going to talk about everything that went into that right now. How are you guys doing? Good. I'm great. Happy to be here. You want to introduce yourselves quick so people can connect your voice with uh, the name? Sure. Uh, I'm Pete Mills. And uh, I'm Dennis Michael Keefe. <laughs> All right. So, Golden Boy Blue Ridge. Tell us, tell us about uh, the show a little bit. We we talked about this on 309. And by the way, there's two more songs. It's just what they'll hear tonight. They can hear. They can still hear up on volume 309 about the show. But give us a, a nutshell summary again of Golden Boy, and then let's talk about the making of the album. Golden Boy of the Blue Ridge is an adaptation of a classic Irish play, Playboy of the Western World by J.M. Singh. Uh, and we've transplanted the story from Ireland to Appalachia. And, uh, but it follows the plot of the original Irish play very closely. And uh, in our production, um, we, uh, because we're setting it in Appalachia, we wanted to have uh, bluegrass music. And the band became uh, an important part of uh, the storytelling because we used the band as... Uh, as characters within the story as well. They, they were the sort of the supporting characters, and then we had our, our leads who did not have to play instruments. But. All right, so now part of, part of why I find this so newsworthy is equity makes it very hard, if not impossible, to do original cast recordings for any type of showcase production. Basically, if it's off-Broadway off or Broadway, they have clear-cut regulations. If you're off-Off-Broadway or showcase, it's... Uh, damn near impossible to do a CD. So how, how did this come together? <laughs> I guess that would be for me. Um, <laughs> well, uh, I guess I should, I should kind of preface this with how I got involved into the show in the first place. Uh, I was uh, a cast member in the show um, as well as part of the, uh, the onstage band. So that's where my, my beginnings with Golden Boy uh, were. Um, after you know, a very small time being involved, I really sort of fell in love with the music, and I started to, uh, not long after that, pester Pete on a daily basis and say, can we record this? Can we record this? Can... It'd be great if we can record. And, and, of course, one of the things that came up was, you know, well, there, there are certain rules around this. It, it could be a very expensive endeavor. You know, it, it's, it's kind of complicated. It's not so simple as just, hey, let's go to a studio and make a record. Um, so I sort of started looking into it, uh, researching what the rules are and, and, and limitations, and um, also knowing that we were only going to be running for a very short time. I think the, the entire run of the show was a book three or th with, with preview three and a half weeks, mm -hmm. right? So um, at that point, I think uh, my, my love and connection for the show was, was strong enough that I said, look, Pete, I, I'd be interested in trying to produce this. I know it's kind of my first time doing something of, of this scale. I'll research it. I'll figure out what needs to get done. And um, it was sort of a, an interesting coincidence. Um, researching the equity rules, basically, um, there, there are very clear-cut rules on uh, how you have to proceed on a show that's currently running. Once a show is over, they, they specify that uh, after a period, I think, of uh, something like 19 weeks or so, basically about five, six months, uh, they really no longer have any jurisdiction over any recording done with that show. Um, 
the coincidence was sort of that right after the show closed, a lot of our cast members were going out of town, heading all over the place for other gigs. And the first time we were able to all get together again and to begin work on this was uh, October. It was six months after the show had run. So we kind of were able to satisfy that sort of by happy accident without really having to do a lot of further digging. Um, but, but yeah, that is uh, something that uh, I guess in, in my uh, opinion now, having been through this once, um, it would be great if there were some other provisions for the different levels, not, not just sort of defaulting to the off-Broadway rules, which is really all that there, there is in place right now. Yeah, because at least with, with what I understand, even, even the off-Broadway rules don't apply. From what I've looked at it before and stuff and seen people encounter problems is that they don't make any provision at all. Like there's theoretically actually no amount of money you can pay the actors to do it during the run of the show is kind of how I've seen it for the, for the showcase. Whereas with the off-Broadway and Broadway, it's you know, two weeks salary and, and do this and, and, and per day in the studio. And, and while it's pricey, there are provisions. From what I understand with the showcase you know, production code, there's almost no way you can do it legitimately. Just for the record, I think we were actually on a different contract. We were on something called a transition contract, which is like a step up from the showcase. But as far as making a cast recording, we did run into all those same rules about if you make it within a certain period of the original production, you have to pay uh, actors at such and such rate for the recording time. Exactly. But so, but but this is a catch. This is a you know, glitch that gets everybody out. Part of why I mention this is I know that there's lots of showcase musicals trying to figure out how to, you know, get their stuff out there. And so sure. I get the key is wait 19 weeks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Assuming everybody's uh, still on board at that point, sure. Yeah. And we, so we, we did start recording with the band sooner, right? It was the band. See, my part. recommendation <laughs> would be since the band doesn't fall under equities codes, though in your case it might have. <laughs> we, we did yeah. lay some of the band tracks to. down uh, earlier a, a bit, a, a, more than anything. Because they so were we not didn't forget them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. This is an interesting <laughs> right, yeah, side note is that um, this being a, a, a bluegrass flavored musical and uh, I'm a piano based composer uh, in terms of and, and, and with the further um, idea that the band was part of our cast and, and was at rehearsals early on right away. Um, I gave them charts and we would um, we evolved the arrangements over the course of the rehearsal period and. Uh, but, you know, they were essentially figuring out their orchestrations, as it were. And I was very concerned that uh, it was it would get lost because uh, they essentially they got so that they could play the show very consistently in a certain way uh, uh, night after night during the run. But, you know, I wanted to, to capture that because that was, you know, it was really all working from these charts. So. All right. Well, before we go any further, maybe we should uh, let people hear one of the songs from the cast album. You know, someone want to set up the first one we're going to play here? Sure. Uh, This is called First Class Ticket. Uh, The song is for a character named Luther, who is a um, a, a local farmer, a very uh, simple, God-fearing man who uh, is engaged to the the leading lady of our show, Maggie. Uh, Only now uh, a stranger has come to town who's kind of a... uh, a mysterious uh, uh, bad man. He, he says that he's on the run from the law. And Luther is very concerned that this uh, mysterious and exciting new stranger has turned Maggie's head and that she's, uh, he's worried about his engagement to Maggie and that she, she might uh, leave him for this stranger. So he is uh, trying to bribe uh, Clay, that's the, the stranger, to, to leave town. All right, so let's take a listen here. First class ticket. Oh, I know. You ain't heard yet She ain't said not a blessed word I bet 
But you see, me and Margaret, we're supposed to wed. Don't hurt me. Then it was, you sashayed up. All at once, she wants to trade up. People say, her mind is made up to marry you instead. Desert me. Sometimes I wish I weren't the good God-fearing kind. Cause then I'd have the courage to shoot you from behind. I won't, though. Thought I might inform against you. Get you sent to the penitentiary. Figured if it took all century, you'd hunt me down for dead. But then a new plan popped into my head. I bought a first-class ticket for the next train out of town. Leaves tomorrow from the depot. I'd be glad to drive you down. Oh, yes, it's all yours. Take it. Don't a prince deserve a crown? Plus a first-class ticket out of town. A rover, the ones who walk the whole world over, the vagabond, the cattle drover, wandering astray. That's romance. You're the kind always pulling up stakes, leave behind a string of heartbreaks. I don't mind, except for God's sakes, you're not supposed to stay. He's got no chance. What hope am I of giving the lady folk a thrill? Ain't got near path left living that I can try to kill. Please, mister. Wait, you got the powerful itches to see the world and to claim its riches. How about a pair of bridges to speed you on your way? And there's more that's in it for you if you leave today. Come on, what do you say? This here's a first class ticket on the train that's westward bound. Cause I reckon I rank second Outlaw, so renowned. So renowned. Oh, it was real slim pickings till the day you come around. So I'm counting on this then to make the picking slim again. You wouldn't want her anyway. You two be fighting night and day. You'd surely get each other's goat forever at each other's throat. And plus I'll throw in this here coat If you take that first class ticket Out of town First class tickets So Dennis, not a, in addition to producing the CD You've actually become the label and, and are handling the promotional responsibilities Around the CD as well, correct? That is correct So I guess first thing is where can people get the, get the soundtrack? Well, uh, there are uh, plenty of different places. I'd say probably the, the, uh, from the forefront of my mind, um, if you happen to be visiting New York and want to pick up a copy or are in the city, uh, we have some copies uh, available at the Colony Music Center over at uh, Broadway and 49th. Um, the other way to get the physical CD itself is on Amazon.com. They are carrying uh, stock of the CD. Uh, and, of course, it's also available for download as an MP3 on iTunes and Amazon MP3 and uh, a whole host of other online sites. So it's definitely uh, available. All right. Now, shortly before this actually came out, Pete, you uh, 
were the announced this year's winner of the pre- prestigious Kleban Award. How, how did that feel? <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> so no, we, we we've been following. We've been you know we've done a lot of work with your shows over the past few years. So I must say, when I saw the announcement, it was real nice to to see somebody that you know has been working so hard with, with that award. Was the had you submitted in previous years? What is the? Oh yes, <laughs> uh, that's an award that I'd been applying for for at least eleven years, um, and uh, obviously it was such a thrill to to, to finally get it, uh, and one less award to apply for every year. Um, and, and it's like a big <laughs> award. It like take care it takes care of almost a full month of expenses of living in New York, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, Before we continue now, we got another song here from the cast recording. Uh, Want to set this one up? Sure. And I uh, should also say that the previous song we did, uh, First Class Ticket, the soloist was Jeff Edgerton. Uh, And uh, the next song we're about to do, which is the title song from the show, is a song called Golden Boy. Uh, The soloist is Victoria Huston Alam. And uh, this is uh, just about... Uh, the character's idea of a golden boy, uh, a perfect man that she always hoped to meet, and the reason why uh, no one has uh, ever been good enough for her before, and why she's she was just about ready to settle for, for Luther, who we uh, met in the previous song, uh, and now that this stranger has come to town, she's asking herself, could this be the golden boy that I was waiting for all those years? Um, yeah. All right, let's take a listen. As a child I dreamt about a golden boy, a perfect prince who'd come along one day. Set my heart to pounding, pluck me from my dream surroundings, and take me with him somewhere far away. Other dreams. We're nothing to my golden boy What cared I about the boy next door I knew I'd never settle for a common life of copper kettles Cause I believed that I was meant for more Golden boy, I'd whisper to him late at night As I clutched my how I have it planned Golden boy There's no one else I'll tell my secrets to There are things that only You would understand Time went by Still there was no golden boy I had friends With families of their own I began to wonder Is it all a spell I've fallen under And am I doomed to spend my days alone Golden boy, I promised I would wait for you Is it too late for Oh, am I only holding on to the eye? 
track golden boy from the original cast recording golden boy of the blue ridge um and i guess kind of to do a slight tie into all the nymph shows kind of you know uh, think summing up here i mean i think the big recommendation for nymph shows trying to do a cast recording is record your band now (laughs) (laughs) and then rope the singers in after 19 weeks (laughs) that's uh yeah it sounds good (laughs) (laughs) so any uh future plans here with prospect or your writing um going on pete I'm working on a couple projects outside of Prospect uh, at the moment. Uh, Prospect, of course, has Once Upon a Time in New Jersey coming up, which I believe is a partner event with NYMPH. And it's at the Hudson Guild Theater, and there are various other NYMPH-related events that will be happening there at the Hudson Guild, uh, you know, again, in partnership with Prospect. All right. And uh, Dennis, I understand you have plans uh, beyond just this cast album of continuing your label. By the way, I'm looking on the... Oh, there it is. Great White Wax. That's the label? That is the label. All right. Okay. I was like looking on this going, where is that? (laughs) And it's it's clear to play as day. So Great White Wax, I understand, while maybe not specific details ready to be revealed, you're looking to go further in the cast album business. Um, yeah, you know, it's, it's funny. This was, uh, again, kind of a happy accident. Uh, I had already started to get into the, the recording side and, and producing uh, just with my own music, my own band, and uh, that kind of, uh, you know, took off on its own. And this was its little uh, extension where I said, well, I kind of have worked my way through a recording, I suppose, so cast albums can't be much different. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, once I, I kind of got to uh, Golden Boy of the Blue Ridge as, as a complete project and I'm looking at the CD, I thought, well, I'd, geez, it'd be great to have more than one title on my label. That'd be, that'd be nice and, uh, yeah. you know, certainly an accomplishment. Um, I would say, you know, it's not something that I'm, uh, it's not my primary pursuit in life, but um, I do think that there are a lot of shows out there that, uh, have phenomenal music, uh, just like this one, and, and deserve to be heard by a greater audience and get out there and be known. And uh, I think that's where my my vision of Great White Wax fits in. If there's a way that it can be done without you know breaking any rules or doing anything that's that's uh, you know not kind of kosher in that world, uh, but still able to to be you know uh, a vessel to deliver music to an audience that wants to hear it, I would love to fill that void. 
uh, you know, especially at this level. Um, there is potential for another one. Uh, not sure uh, if it's, uh, I guess I, I can at least mention, uh, following Prospect's uh, production of With Glee, uh, there were some just, just sort of light initial talk about the potential to do that uh, down the road with With Glee as well. Um, certainly nothing set in stone yet, but uh, it would be a fantastic project. Uh, it was a great show, uh, great music by uh, by John Greger, and uh, yeah, hopefully that will be something that uh, that gets to happen and uh, get to come back and visit you again. Yeah, and on the side note, now that the cast recorded Golden Boy, the Blue Ridge is out, I'm I'm hoping this can also spread the word to some of the smaller theater companies around the country because I I know from Montana for some of the more rural areas, this is a fantastic musical that I think can really appeal to some of those audiences. Well, an interesting thing when the show uh, had its original run and we got a we got a great New York Times review, there was you know interest from theaters like that at the time. Uh, and we didn't have a cast recording to give them. And so now we have to get back to all those theaters and like, wait, now we have it. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. Well, best of luck with the uh, cast album release. Amazon, The Colony, iTunes, pretty much all those great places. And uh, best of luck as you guys continue forward with your endeavors. Great. Thanks, Thanks for Michael. having us. On the boards. If you're looking for a getaway weekend at an English country estate but can't afford the plane fare, yet you still want to hang out with all those uh, great erudite people and drink lots of wine, perhaps you can take in the show from the Atta Theatre Group's Weekend at an English Country Estate, playing from October 14th through the 31st. We've got playwright Sarah Montgomery as well as director Paul Ursioli here to discuss the show. How are you guys doing? Good. How are you doing? Good. All right, so uh, a weekend at an English country estate, and this takes place in outer space? <laughs> yeah, so the country estate. Uh, in, on Mars. On Mars. Uh, it's really, yeah, it takes an English country estate in the 1930s um, to, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's about it. Yeah. <laughs> Chosen in the 1930s, was, was it going to be 20s, 30s? We didn't know what to do, and then our costume designer at our first production meeting said, 1930s. The best costumes in the world, or and she, all future evening gowns and formal wear came out of that. So we were like, she just already had them. <laughs> she has a whole closet. It's a big closet filled with stuff. No, it's just she, we have her name is Katya Andrea. She's a brilliant costume designer, and the show the show looks beautiful. It's gorgeous, and she just said she picked the the exact <laughs> just decade for the for us. highest amount of beauty. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so Sarah, now this is a new play, but I understand it's really right. They're in the style of Noel Coward and kind of those classic playwrights. What made you want to write a, a show in this vein? Um, well, I've, I'm a tiny bit obsessed with uh, the BBC and Masterpiece Theatre. Um, it's particularly actually inspired by uh, this show, Jeeves in Worcester, that my roommate years ago, uh, Andrea, introduced me to. Um, that's just about rich people with not a whole lot to do who just have love troubles all the time. And um, I wish I was a rich person with not a lot to do and nothing but love problems. I know. Yes, there's a highly <laughs> escapist <laughs> aspect to it, I feel. Um, and, uh, yeah, one night I, I, I had woken up in the middle of the night with this idea for this scene between uh, these two main characters in the play who uh, are ex-lovers, unbeknownst to their current lovers, sort of being territorial with one another uh, about the, the whole situation on the weekend, because everybody's sort of there because of a misunderstanding. They're all there by accident, this large group of people. And um, out of that, I just tried to make something that was really 
really in the style, really classically constructed, classically written, um, and uh, very, very English because of my deep Anglophilia. <laughs> yeah. And you hit it out of the park, too. I mean, it's really good. I, I have to say, I mean, um, I'll have a lot of former students. Sarah went to school where I used to teach at NYU undergrad. A few years ago, we won't say how many. Um, and I'll always have people sending me a, a script. Hey, would you read my play or direct my play? And there's always uh, this, oh, sure, I'll take a look at it. And like, I, damn it, I wanted to chill tonight. Yeah, and of course, God <laughs> forbid, the writing is not up to snuff. <laughs> and you're like, oh, well, you know, it's really good, but I'm kind of busy right now. And I read this play. I opened up the document, and three pages in, I was just beaming. And I was like, this is so charming. And I even had my wife print it up for me at work because it was a large document. And she came home from reading it on the subway. She was like, this is really good. It's really funny. And it's just so classically, perfectly structured. The characters are great. The, um, the, the kind of really silly, crazy farce of the first act followed by some of the more open emotional scenes of the second act. It's just like for your first time trying to write something of a scope this big, I was just blown away the first time I read it. I just saw her slipping you a 20. No. <laughs> she slipped me that outside. We tried to, that was actually a laundry debt. So uh, what did you teach at NYU? Oh, I used to teach at the Atlantic Theater Company Acting School. Um, it was started by David Mamet and William H. Macy. And for about 16 years there, I taught, um, I taught acting and second-year acting and improvisation, and I directed shows. And I finally quit in 2006 just to be an actor full-time and occasionally direct. And now I'm producing a movie, too, so I'm just branching out. <laughs> but that was a while ago. So, Sarah, how long has the Eta Theater Group been in existence? Uh, we were formed in 2005 um, by uh, originally seven of us who are from this class who, um, like many theater companies, we, were, we, we see so much theater that we just don't like that much. And we wanted to put out theater that we do like. And uh, this play definitely was also very important that it was something that I'd want to act in as well as see. And uh, all of our shows have just been about fun, the spirit of fun, the spirit of vibrancy, and um, just enjoyable theater, if nothing else. Yeah, It's kind of a departure for the usual... Because Ate does sometimes a little bit more. There's a lot of dance in it and a lot mm -hmm. of something, you'd call it experimental, but not in the twisted way, but in like a really yeah. fun, like, wow, that was a really theatrical, fun experience. And yeah. this is a sort of, well, there's a box set with five doors and beautiful furniture and yeah. people in tuxedos. It, it feels kind of classic, and it's a step away from... Yeah, definitely the, the fun is still there, but previous to this show we did, um, all of our other shows, most for the most part, have been uh, literary adaptations by our company artistic director, Bridget Dunlap, um, of, we did uh, The Girl in the Flammable Skirt, which is this collection, of, <laughs> this collection of short stories uh, by Amy Bender, and uh, our other sort of bigger one was uh, The Girl Detective, which is a Kelly Link short story, and so these are, they all involve a certain level of, like, magicalness, that's, that's a word. Magic realism. Ma <laughs> magical realism, and... Um, just, yeah, the girl detective specifically was very dance-driven, and none of us in the company are actually dancers, so it, I, <laughs> it sort of satisfied all of our desire, our, all of our wishes that we were dancers. But you, you move with passion and specificity. Mm. That's mm. all that matters. <laughs> yeah, those the spastic jerks are very specific. And so passionate. <laughs> <laughs> so what are the biggest, biggest challenges in uh, kind of on a, I'm assuming, you know, on a limited showcase budget in bringing 
you know, a, a 1930s sensibility both to the writing and to the stage and to the performances? Hmm. hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, certainly we have uh, all our, our great designers, Sarah Walsh, our set designer, and Katya, who I mentioned, and Carlton, who's doing our lights. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody sort of knows the constraints of the budget, but we just got people that we knew we would love working with and who had a, read the script and felt the same way we did. That's, re- that's really the most important thing that somebody reads and goes, oh, I want to tackle this, because mm-hmm. then I think they seek to get it done in a really beautiful way and stay on budget, hopefully. Yeah. And some of during the rehearsal process was sort of identifying, even though I I, I, I love that old style and, and made it as old styly as possible, there were still a couple phrases that might have, that were sneaking their way in there that were a bit too modern, so we just did a little research and tried to alter them. Shizzle my nizzle didn't work. Yeah, that wasn't, yeah, totally, yeah. <laughs> we got to put that, I put that back in, that never fails to get a big laugh. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, my constant references to Diet Coke probably yeah, wasn't. Um, in. The, the least of our problems has been the actors because the the women from the Ate who are in the show are all fantastic. And then we had to go outside the company to cast uh, three or four. Well, I don't know about time, but we got these just great people who. Uh, it's been a joy to direct them. It's just like move, move them to the right spot and make them heard, and they're all fantastic. It's like yeah, everyone really jumped in 100% and just got it right away, and we've been able to just yeah really make it a lovely piece. Yeah. <laughs> so what what theater is this playing at? The Access Theater on Broadway and White, just below Canal. It's um it's a lovely space. It's a uh, it is for I mean I. For the twenty-something years I've been in New York, seeing crappy theater in tiny black boxes all over this city, for yeah. this is like, oh, it's actually, you feel like you're not yeah. constrained. It's not, it's not a death sentence to be in there wall to wall with seventy other people. There's a lot of beautiful east-west space, and like it's, it's mm-hmm. and real seats on a real right. seats, <laughs> <It's nice. laughs> and the stage is big <laughs> enough to support this you know, somewhat elaborate right. set that we've got going on, and right near Canal Street stops of the. Six N R Q. All of them. Conveniently located. To yeah. for, where can I get a beer afterwards? Hmm. <laughs> well, there's so many places. So many. Or a cocktail, I guess. Got, MI5, yeah. you've got uh, the Tribeca, Tribeca ta- Tavern. There's Souths down there. Souths is really good. Oh my God, we should get money from them now. <laughs> I know. I yeah, just we'll, I leaned into on. that a little too far. Like, Souths, yes. <laughs> go to Souths. Great food. Yeah. We'll be having our opening night party, too, at MI5 that night, which is a, this awesome bar that's really big. And has a pool table. <laughs> and and you could basically fly a helicopter but... inside of it. So <laughs> yeah. I'm originally from Montana. A bar that doesn't have a pool table is yeah. very odd. <laughs> <laughs> but in, in these, you know, like, you know, tiny, tiny bars. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, again, it's a weekend at an English country estate mm-hmm. playing from October 14th to the 31st. Uh, is there a website they can go to for more information? Uh, www.ate.org, and that's spelled A T E H. And just as a last wrap-up, what, what's the origin of the name Ate? Oh, yes. It is a reference to the Dictionary of the Khazars. Um, there's a particular story that's told a couple times about the Princess Ate, who has seven faces, and there are seven of us, and she's kind of this sort of badass woman who 
<laughs> just uh, has all of these strategies. She's constantly under threat of assassination, and so she's got con- strategies of how to foil her assassins. Yeah. Don't back off of that, because the seven of you are fascinating badasses who are constantly under the threat mm-hmm. of assassination. <laughs> There's people out there who want them dead. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, again, thanks so much, Sarah Montgomery and uh, Paul Ursioli for stopping by, and best of luck with the play Weekend at an English Country Estate. Thanks so much. Thank you. On the boards. With all the scientific advancements of the past couple decades, exactly what length would you go to to make sure that when you're having a child that you have a good egg? I guess is just part of the premise of the new play, Good Egg, by Dorothy Fortenberry. And we have got uh, director Kel Haney and actor Dan McCabe here to talk about the Redfern Theatre Company's production of Good Egg. How are you doing? Doing, doing okay. Well, How are you? All right. So I guess first things first, kind of uh, your elevator pitch, what is The Good Egg? The Good Egg is about a brother and a sister. Uh, they're adult siblings who've had uh, a lot of troubles in their lives that they've dealt with in different ways. And um, they're on two very different sides um, of a discussion about whether or not uh, the sister should uh, test, uh, genetically test for uh, particular diseases uh, in the – she's having them in vitro, in vitro fertilization. All right. So, Dan, what's your character in the show? My character is Matt. He's uh, the brother, the only man on the show. And uh, the big issue is, you know, he he has he's bipolar, and so when his sister tells him that uh, she's having a baby through artificial insemination, it's called that too, right? It's right, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. artificial insemination, and she's going to screen for the bipolar gene. It's also and called Baby Baster and... Lots of names. <laughs> what was the thing you said? In, in, for, in, for, in vitro in fertilization. Yeah. Um, I just go artificial. Anyway, so um, <laughs> he's... Uh, he um, It arises some conflicts in him and uh, both of them when uh, she says that she's going to screen for the bipolar gene because he kind of feels um, in, insulted in a sense because she, you know, some, on the deeper level, she's trying to maybe eliminate a part of him, you know, a big part of him, and it also brings up a lot of issues uh, of their history in the past with their parents, and on a bigger level, you know, he kind of has this defense that, you know, people that are bipolar on one end of the spectrum, they can be very depressed and down and manic, but on the other end, there have been many, many great geniuses uh, throughout history that actually have been bipolar, and some of the greatest works have been produced by people that have this disease so he kind of defends it and doesn't think that she should just you know rifle through the selection of uh, embryos and choose which one she wants best mm-hmm. he thinks it's better to just leave it up to nature yeah. and you know that's that's the big that's a that's Yeah, and from her point of view, she's thinking um, that she has the right to choose. Mm -hmm. And, you know, with the, uh, you know, where technology is going, that, you know, right to choose um, and right to choose what goes on in terms of fertility rights um, as science is capable of more and more things in terms of genetic engineering, it's just how far can technology take the right to choose. So she's saying that she's got the right to have uh, the baby she wants, you know, without the diseases and uh, without the risk um, of that baby having the same issues that she sees her brother grappling with, with his mental disorder. Mm-hmm. 
So, Kel, what what attracted you to this play? How did you how did you find it? How did you find Redfern Theater Company? Great question. Um, I actually, it's Dorothy Fortenberry, the playwright, is an exceptional human being and an exceptional writer, and uh, we've worked together through Ensemble Studio Theater and uh, their group of young playwrights, playwrights under thirty, Young Blood. And um, I was just impressed with her voice. I think she's got a very specific theatricality. She asks really big questions, but in a way that's really accessible and interesting as an audience member. So I've been a big fan of hers uh, for quite some time and looking for a project for us to work on together. I found Red Fern. uh, The other actress, Andrea Day, uh, has been involved with Red Fern for several years at this point. And uh, she and I actually uh, went to Penn State together. So we've uh, been friends and colleagues through school. So I found Red Fern through Andrea, who is the other actor in the play. So did you get, you pitched the show to Red Fern, or they, had they found the show already? Or? We pitched the show to Red Fern. I mean, we, we actually did a reading last year. Andrea uh, played Meg. Dan, Dan's a new addition on this on the on the full production. But um, we just we felt that the issues and the idea that it's two sides, like two sides of this issue, you know, really go into are, are very specific in terms of you know Red Fern. Uh, its mission statement of producing socially conscious plays and. Um, we immediately thought that this play and the debate involved in this play uh, would really be conducive for you know what Melanie, uh, the artistic director of Red Fern, is trying to program. So, for you, for you, Dan, as an actor, what are the most challenging parts of this kind of play and, and doing a two-hander as such? Well, right off the bat, it's you know playing with someone, uh, playing someone that's bipolar. You. I'm not bipolar, I don't think. Well, I don't know. But, but it's, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, you, you got to wonder. You know, he, his manic, he kind of becomes more manic throughout the play. And uh, it's difficult. You know, I don't want to, like, play that. It's kind of difficult to, to figure out. You know, as an actor, you always want to just, I mean, at least me, I like to think about just, like, concrete things, like objectives and stuff like that. And so I, it's a challenge for me to kind of just let the text drive uh, the mania that the character has rather than, you know, infusing my own uh, notions of what I think this would be like or what I would feel right here. Just kind of letting the play do it for me. And, um, you know, it, it, I think it's like that whenever you play a character that has some sort of disease that you might not personally be familiar with. Well, um, I, I think mental disorders can quite inherently take out specific mental disorders, that, uh, yeah. And, and logical, you know, assessments of your mm-hmm. goals <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. out of the picture. Yeah. And, and directorially, what have been your biggest challenges, Kel? Uh, keeping it equal. I mean, the fact that there's two actors who are on stage primarily for the entire show and uh, just trying to find a way to make sure both sides of uh, the story are being told and um, as, you know, he slips further into his mania and she starts to question her decision, those two events happen concurrently. Uh, just the balancing act between, between, the, two, between the, the two roles, I would say, is, is the, biggest, the biggest challenge. Now, I understand that uh, Redfern Theatre Company usually pairs up with a charity mm-hmm. uh, with their production. So who's involved with this? Production. Uh, we've paired with the Family Center for Bipolar Disorder, uh, which is a really great in, uh, organization uh, that believes that, in terms of uh, you know, 
working with someone who has bipolar disorder, it's important to work with not just uh, the person who's suffering, but also the family and uh, the people with whom they're close. So it's it goes against uh, well, it, it's an, it's a different perspective in terms of you know how to deal with a psychological disorder, which you know is traditionally just about uh, you know dealing with the patient and um, bringing in the family in terms of the medication and the rehabilitation and the therapy. Uh, it's a way to bring everyone involved. So obviously having him be bipolar and having the sister be involved um, in what's going on in his life and they live together in this play, we felt like um, it was very complimentary and wanted to pair with them. All right. So now the not the, just playing Good Egg mm-hmm. is playing from October 21st through November 7th. And uh, you can get tickets and information at the www.redferntheater.org. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. Any other uh, parting shots you'd like to get out about Good Egg before we... Yeah, I'd say that, um, you know, this is a a really exciting and interesting brand new American play. So for people who are interested in supporting new voices and hearing a new voice like Dorothy's and coming to see, you know, really skilled actors like Dan McCabe next to me and Andrea Day, um, it's just a great way to uh, see see a new play and walk away having some really big things to talk about and think about. And it's funny at the same time, too, yes. which is good. It's got a good range of, uh, you good. know, deals with very serious issues, but it's not just all stern drama the whole time. There's mm-hmm. lots of fun comedic moments and, you know, a light, so certain lightheartedness and also a good kind of family rapport that I think a lot of people can, can relate to. Definitely. Yeah. All right. Cool. Well, Kel Haney and Dan McCabe, thanks for stopping by. And Thank best you, of Michael. luck with Good Egg with uh, Redfern Theater Company. Awesome. Thank you. Curtain Call. Well, that wraps up Volume 414 of Broadway Bullet. You can find out more information about any of the shows we talked about at broadwaybullet.com. Just click on the show notes for Volume 414. And we're going to be back again in the third Thursday of the month, so uh, November 21st. Uh, Mark your calendars. Check your iTunes downloads. And once again, I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, and thanks for hopping on board the Broadway Bullet. The hair's about our brand new theater and business arts major. I know what most theater programs are like, and I've talked to thousands of artists. All of this told me that a new style of theater major was needed. Theater majors can get a pretty good arts education just about anywhere, but most programs do very little to prepare actors, directors, playwrights, technicians, producers, etc. to manage their careers. When you go into the arts, you are your own business, and you need to manage that, to strategically plan for your career to grow. If you've listened to many of these interviews, you know you need to be self-starters to create your own opportunities. I'm going to make sure you are ready for that world. You'll get a ton of opportunities as an undergraduate. Actors will act, even as freshmen. Designers will design shows right away. Playwrights will see their shows mounted. Directors will direct. Producers will handle shows from inception to execution. 
Outstanding guest artists will conduct workshops, and outstanding students will even work on this podcast and travel to New York with me for interview weeks. And if that isn't enough, we've got an amazing program that will pay all or part of your student loan payments, even private loans if you are earning less than $40,000 six months after graduation. That is an invaluable option that lets you pursue your passion in theater with less financial pressure. If interested, and I hope you are, go to broadwaybullet.com. I'd love to help you launch your career.